0: The conversation continues right now now, now, with Dominique DePrima on First Things First. First First. first. It does continue right now, and I'd love for you to jump in and share what you want to talk about, 809-20-1580. The the U.S. House of Representatives is on my last nerve. When we we wrapped up yesterday, uh, before passing the mic to Tavis Smiley, The House of Representatives had um, nominated someone to be their new speaker, uh, Representative Emmer. And before the day was over, before there was even one vote taken on the floor, this guy had to step down because he did not have the votes. In today's um, Republican Party, he might be considered a moderate. I'm laughing because... There was nothing moderate about Representative Emmer, other than the fact that apparently for five minutes one time he admitted that uh, Donald Trump lost the election. Now they got a new guy up there today, another day, another nominee. Mike Johnson is his name. Uh, he's from Louisiana. He's a Republican. They say he's well-liked. So it's a popularity contest. Apparently it's not about policy, but who has less enemies in the junior high school that is currently the Republican uh, caucus inside of the U.S. House of Representatives. Our Congress currently not functioning. But just because everybody likes them, still no guarantee. It's like, um, well, someone likened it to the mafia. But it really is, for me, it's more like, I don't know that much about the mafia. Maybe that's why. It reminds me of gangs because it's like, these 10 blocks belong to this uh, faction of the Republican Party. These 10 blocks belong to that faction. Those corners belong to that faction. There are factions within the Republican Party, not just the uh, so-called Freedom Caucus and the so-called uh, norm, Team Normal, but all of these little splinter groups and uh, and then factions within the factions. So... um Right now, it's this guy, uh, Mike Johnson, that after Tom Emmer from Minnesota sat down and said, nah, he's not going to be able to win this. And so we'll see. Maybe by tomorrow, we'll have another person. Um, Right now, it's kind of funny because it's so ridiculous, but it's also really problematic uh, because there are, you know, first of all, we're paying a whole bunch of jokers to sit up there and wait around for Republicans to figure out who's going to be the leader. They're not going to be sensible enough to go on and just let five more people come over to the D side of the aisle and and nominate, uh, confirm Hakeem Jeffries, who seems to be the grown person in the race every single time. But the politics are so partisan right now in Washington, uh, not to mention you know, the puppet master, Mr. Orange Loco himself. Um, so we shall see. This is not looking good. I do think um, that they're probably going to end up with some kind of compromise, uh, meaning that maybe that we'll have a temporary speaker for a really long time in order to get work done. Um, it would be Hilarious if somehow Kevin McCarthy got back in. Hilarious, funny, haha, but also funny, problematic. Okay, maybe we need a palette refresher. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, to me, it's a big palette refresher. All of the um, legal troubles of the 45th president. But I love these stories. Um, there is a, an activist organization. That has decided to pay off $10 million worth of debt for 3,000 more House college students, Says the White House and the president continue to struggle to figure out how to overturn, how to forgive student loans with an extreme conservative uh, U.S. Supreme Court. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Mr. Trump wants to give party favors to the wealthy in the form of tax cuts, while forcing a low income and black people and other people of color to pay their student loan debt with interest to the last penny. So, um, this organization called Debt Collective, it's a a debtor's union, um, in conjunction with a group called Roland Jubilee Fund, um, bought the debt for 2777 former students of Morehouse College for men um through the fall semester of 2022 that was almost 10 million dollars and some of those debts go back decades and that's the kind of thing that hobbles people from moving up um you know financially economically educationally even because you're maxed out on loans you're maxed out on credit you can't get a house maybe those extra Um, several hundred dollars a month would make all the difference in the world for your family, but you've got to put them into paying off student loans if you want to stay sound uh, on your credit rating and your viability. Um, And student loan debt is one of the few types of debt that doesn't disappear when you declare bankruptcy, right? So it's, even more problematic, uh, for low income folks, you can't make it go away. Student loan debt and tax debt. Those are the two things that don't go away when you do, a uh, chapter 11 or chapter seven bankruptcy. They stay, you can get rid of credit card debt. You can get rid of other kinds of loans, but not student loans and not tax debt. Um, last year alone, this organization, the debt collective paid, um, almost $2 million for student loan balances at Bennett College, which is an historically black women's college in North Carolina. So I love these stories. It's great, great news. Uh, Reminds me of um, when Bob Johnson paid off those loans. And I I get that he had his own financial troubles, but what billionaire doesn't if we look under the hood? Um, And I hope that I, you know it gives people a, a new lease on life or a fresh start in life and i hope that that kind of initiative um gains momentum and becomes more and more uh what we hear about and and what um what is in style uh so Jenna Ellis former Trump lawyer pleading guilty uh in the Georgia election case it's hard to keep them all kind of sorted because there are 91 charges against the former president and multiple cases including four um, four criminal cases a bunch of civil cases so um, so far that's three lawyers cooperating with DA Fani Willis in the quest to indict to convict I should say um, he who shall not be named the former president of the United States. Jenna Ellis um, was part of what they used to call the elite legal strike force team for President, then-President Trump, and she made a deal. She pleaded guilty. See, the thing about it is the more people plead guilty the more likely it is that everyone else has to jump on board. The more and more people testifying against the president, against Rudy Giuliani, against the others in the case, the more likely it is that they will be convicted. And uh, from what I understand, uh, just reading and, and watching legal analysis, the longer you wait to take a deal, the worse terms you get. The... Prosecutors need you less and less as time goes on. If they got all of the, you know, seven dwarves except for one testifying, you know, already flipping for the prosecution, they don't really need, you know, sleepy, grumpy, dopey or whoever's left over that last, you know, um, small person. So I think that that's what we're seeing in Atlanta. It seems like D.A. F- Fannie Willis, it has been methodical, has been textbook um, prosecuting this, and she said she wanted to try all 19 defendants at once. Maybe she was being tongue-in-cheek. Maybe she meant all of the 19 who have not taken plea deals by the time we go to trial. Um, Ms. Ellis was crying in court in Atlanta, saying she knew then what she knows now. She never would have done what she did. She never would have uh, gone along with uh, the plan to pretend that Mr. Trump won the election, that he was somehow robbed of the election, which we know is a lie. She is taking five years of probation, paying five grand in restitution, and doing a 100 hours of community service. She has already written her apology letter to the people of the state of Georgia, what kind of community service does a former Trump attorney do? Are they going to be <laughs> are they going to be pro bono counsel for people who have been accused of voter fraud for trying to exercise their rights when they didn't realize they were not yet requalified because they were still justice involved through probation or something else? Could she maybe I don't know. Um, I don't know. It, to me, the, uh, the, the community service piece should fit the level of the crime itself, which is very, very deep, not just in terms of what they attempted to do, but how they changed the narrative, how they polarized and brainwashed this country, how this huge chunk of Republican voters, normal Republican voters today, not just the Giuliani Halloween people, but the actual regular old Republicans believe that the election is stolen, was stolen, and how damaging that is to our democracy and our nation. I think that has to be considered, not just the actual violation of, of a code. Uh, it's the perfect time to call me, eight hundred nine two zero fifteen eighty. Continuing the conversation when we come forward only on KBLA Talk 1580. A safe place to go loud, loud. loud. A great place for progressive politics. KBLA Talk 1580. Broadcasting live from Lower Park, USA. Welcome back to your home for unapologetically progressive radio. KBLA Talk 1580. Uh, Okay, so a little bit more on the troubles of the Trumpster. I was okay. It is confusing because Mark Meadows uh, was granted immunity um, in the Department of Justice case. Uh, we're just finding out about it officially, but that, that's happened some time ago. And the reason I think it's confusing is like, oh, everyone's pleading guilty in Georgia, but this is um, in, re- regard to the voter, um, in, in regard to the voter, in regard to the Department of Justice case for overturning the election not the uh, election fraud case o- over in Atlanta so two separate things but Mark Meadows the former chief of staff for Trump is involved in both and what i mean by that is that he apparently has been granted immunity by Jack Smith the special counsel in that department of justice case right so he he's um testified or spoken, I guess, uh, talked to a grand jury, a federal grand jury, already three times that we know about, minimally three times, but not until he was given immunity. Now we see why he was so keen to have his uh, Georgia case moved to federal court. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer, but it seems to me if you have immunity, I don't know if that would transfer over, but in any case, he didn't get that. So he's still facing charges in the state court in Georgia. So that means that, uh, or actually it's uh County uh, Fulton County. Let me be clear. That means that, uh, he is involved in both cases. He does not have immunity in the Fulton County case. Bonnie Willis has not made a deal with him yet. So he's still facing exposure there. And, um, I wonder how whatever he has told, this is when I know it's time to get a lawyer in here again. I wonder how whatever he has told um, federal prosecutors and the grand jury, how would that impact him in Georgia? Because if that information is out there, he, it seems like he he um, he's between a rock and a hard place. That's what it seems like to me. Okay, so no, right right here it says any information he gave before the grand jury can't be used against him in a federal prosecution, but it doesn't mean that it can't be used against him in the Fulton County um, prosecution. He hasn't pleaded either way in Georgia, and he um, is waiting for trial after the the judge denied his request to move there. So it seems to me the former chief of staff is between a rock and a hard place. And it feels like the more people flip on Trump and they are flipping higher and higher up the food chain, Sidney Powell, um, Jenna Ellis, uh, could it be Giuliani next? It just, the, the fire is on the feet of the former president for sure that, um, Hamas freed two Israeli women. Um, and they described their experience, the terror of the attack um, by Hamas, and then their experience inside those tunnels. Um, and of course, now everyone is hoping, praying, wishing that the rest of those people being held hostage will be freed, unharmed. Those women, of course, probably very freaked out, I would be, um, but they're, they're, they're unharmed, physically unharmed. Um, And, and so it's interesting to see how that's reported. Um, Of course, it's terrible to be terrorized and kidnapped, but the fact that they were fed and bathed and clothed. It's, uh, it raises questions. That's, let me say that. I was surprised that president Barack Obama weighed in on Israel. Um, he doesn't have to, he's not the president anymore. And, and I feel like he's been pretty restrained about weighing in on anything through the Trump and Biden years for the most part. Um, what, um, president Obama, who's clearly a centrist, not a progressive said was that the, um, Israeli military strategy could backfire because any strategy that ignores the human costs could ultimately backfire. Um, he did a written statement that was posted online. He said the, the humanitarian, the terrible, terrible humanitarian outcomes of cutting off food, water, and electricity in Gaza could, quote, further harden Palestinian attitudes for generations, erode global support for Israel, and play into the hands of Israel's enemies, undermine long-term efforts to achieve peace. It is hard to talk about this situation because anything you say is considered controversial. Anything you say can be used against you. But yet, Things that seem like common sense, like a ceasefire, like calling for a ceasefire, like calling for peace, are now considered controversial. Um, but I, I, you know, I have to call for peace. I also think that we have to be diligent in saying that because we say free Palestine. It doesn't mean that we're anti-Semitic. It doesn't mean we're anti, it doesn't even mean we're anti Israeli, just anti Netanyahu. Who is there? Trump, Trump on steroids, that we are anti, um, the denial of human rights, that we are anti the dehumanization of an entire group of people, Palestinians, and I, I, I'm glad to hear more in mainstream media, people saying and even the president saying that Hamas does not equal Palestinians. Palestinians and Hamas are not the same. Uh, the UN chief, Antonio um, Guterres, said that Israel is, is uh, doing clear violations of international law. That was a quote in Gaza. Um, he also said, quote, protecting civilians can never mean using them as human shields of course, referring to Hamas. And then he said, it does not mean ordering more than 1 million people to evacuate to the South where there's no shelter, no food, no water, no medicine, and no fuel, and then continuing to bomb the South itself. He also said, and this uh, surprised me, we're talking about the uh, UN chief here, that the October 7th attack on Israel did not happen in a vacuum. I think it's a good way of putting it because I do not think that anything justifies the murder of civilians, the terrorizing of civilians. But I do think what he said is you have to look at what's going on in context. He said the Palestinian people have been subjected to 50 year, 56 years of suffocating occupation. And he added though, he said their grievances could not justify the appalling attacks well, apparently Guterres um, upset the Israeli ambassador who called his comments shocking and called for him to resign. That is where we are now, where the discourse is so stifled because of... Um, Right, rightful concerns about anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is a cancer. It's a problem. But it has nothing to do with calling for the rights of Palestinian people. It has nothing to do with protecting civilians or human rights. All throughout human history, people have conducted wars. That's why we have rules of, of engagement. That's why we have Geneva Conventions. That's why we have norms of war. And I'm sorry, but you don't get to say just because these guys are tricky and they have underground tunnels and they're terrible that we can abandon all the rules of war. And bomb, starve um, keep people in the dark. When people are arguing whether Israel bombed a hospital or didn't bomb a hospital and maybe one day we'll know the real truth when we get beyond this phase of media hysteria but what we do know is that they're bombing everything else schools other hospitals it's a punishment it's um it's a problem no you know you (laughs) you No matter what horrific attack one suffers, one doesn't get to say, well, they did it, so I'm going to do it too, or I'm going to do worse. And when I hear people say that Israel is going to wipe Hamas off the map, I th- what I hear is they're going to wi- wipe the Palestinian people off the map. Not because I'm sympathetic to Hamas, which I'm not, even though, Plenty of people have pointed out we shouldn't have to always say that, but I don't mind saying it. But I understand why people push, push back on it. I don't have a problem with it. But if wiping them off the map means obliterating the entire territory that we now know as Palestine and so many of its people and its children, then that's not, that's not viable. You have to find another way forward. If you're going to live in a country or a territory because Israel is one country and they have the right to sovereignty and the Palestinian territories are, should be a sovereign nation. They should have the right to defend themselves and they should also have sovereignty, but they're side by side. They're they're all around each other, right? Um, Arab uh, countries surround um, Israel and, but think about the civil war, after the Civil War, Confederates and Union loyalists lived together in the same country. Does that mean you g- Maybe, I don't know. It's true the U.S. failed to, f- to fully protect black people from the Confederates. But you can't just... The, the way to security is not wipe the entire South off the map. The way to security is to legislate, repair, reparations, whatever it takes to get us to where we can be one or where we can at least live uh, peacefully side by side. 809 if you want to weigh in on this or anything else we are talking about. We've got freestyle phones going on. United Auto Workers Strike expanding and that trial starting for those Five black police officer, officers who are suing the University of Washington. More on that when we come forward. KBLA Talk 1580. She's reclaiming her time on KBLA Talk 1580. More first things first with Dominique DePrima when we come forward. Keep out of, reach of children. your ancestors' favorite radio station. Radio station. And your favorite morning show host. Let's get back to Dominique DePrima right now. Right now, right now, uh, Queen Renea of, George, of Jordan um, was blasting CNN on CNN on yesterday, and she was talking about the double standard. Um, she says, quote, the people all around the Middle East, including in Jordan, are, are just shocked and disappointed by the world's reaction to the catastrophe unfolding in the last couple of weeks. We've seen a double standard in the world. And she's talking about how the world rightfully stood with Israel when they were attacked, but has not stood up for the human rights ab- abuses uh, in, that are unfolding in Gaza. And uh, I think because the IDF in Israel, you know, is, is an official government, it's easy to say, well, they're just protecting themselves instead of looking at what are the international standards of war and what does an occupation really mean and how what how do you achieve lasting peace? How do you achieve lasting peace? What is fair? What is just? What is right? Um, and I think that we, have to be able to stand on our own moral compass and say, you know, it, it, it's so it's, it's scary because it's so easy to have your words twisted and to be um, misunderstood. But it is a time when history will condemn us and our own moral consciousness will condemn us if we do not stand for peace if we do not stand for human rights, if we do not call for a different way forward that does not include a genocide of the Palestinian people. And that's, you know... That's not me making something up or someone else making something up. It's not even taking a side. It's not about taking a side. It's about international standards. And forget international standards. It's about our moral compass. About what we allow to be done to our fellow human beings on our one planet. Our one planet. And that has to be consistent, right? You can't kill one group and not another. It's not okay. You can't dehumanize one group and not another. Shouldn't be dehumanizing anybody. It's not okay. Well, hate crimes come from hate, which is the stereotyping, the maligning. The undermining, the dehumanizing of any group. And we here in the United States have seen a rise in hate crimes. Since we, you all, because I didn't vote for him, elected the 45th president, we've seen a steady rise in hate crimes. Black people always at the top of that unfortunate statistic. We are always the number one target. It's not oppression Olympics. It's... The facts. That is what the data show. The majority of those attacks come from white supremacists. Vast, vast, vast majority. That's what makes it a hate crime. And um, I believe it's LGBTQ plus folks next, and then anti-Semitic attacks. Uh, it might flip. Might be flipped around. We've seen a huge rise in anti. Asian hate, API hate, started from a small number and jumped. Which is why you know they're not at the top target list. Why? Because they started from a small number. So if you say it doubled, if you had five crimes and now it's ten, it's uh, that's an example. That's not a literal number. It's still going to put you way back of the pack to black people who white supremacist hate crimes were invented for. I say all that to say, I stand against hate, and I think we as black people do. White supremacists, hate, homophobic hate, misogynist hate, bad. I shouldn't even have to say that. But obviously we do because those numbers keep going up here. And so I feel like for us as the United States of America, the most powerful, if not the most powerful anymore, one of the most powerful countries in the world, we cannot have a double standard. We can't have a queen of Jordan calling us out. We can't be calling for sovereignty and asking our citizens to cough up billions to protect the sovereignty of Ukraine, and not respecting the sovereignty of Palestine. It makes us look like hypocrites. And it's not just what we look like. It's what we perpetuate in the world. Let's perpetuate democracy, human rights, freedom, all the things we say we're about. That's what I want us to be about. Okay, I didn't get to the other stories I said I was going to get to because I get caught up in that. It's very painful, you know. Um, It's almost... You know, hard to go through the social media fees right now because the images that are coming out and the battles that are going on, many of them based on a lack of knowledge. Uh, Fahima pointed out that I said Bob Johnson when I meant Robert Smith, talking about giving that money to the um, Morehouse students. Um, and and just reminding me, he he admitted to committing tax fraud, which I did mention, but to me. If you look under the hood, most billionaires are doing it. They just don't necessarily get caught. And the man still went ahead and paid off that debt. It's not like he ran out of money. <laughs> he, he had to, I think he paid $200 million in fines. $200 million in fines and still had plenty left over. That's crazy money. So he still paid off those student loans. He just had to pay a fine to the IRS talking black history, we're talking legacy, we're talking um, black history education, all that and more when we come forward exclusively on KBLA Talk 1580.